They're a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Puck with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Matthew Crummins, world famous Matthew Crummins, welcome to the Matt and Tom podcast. That's much, much better than world infamous Matt Crummins, which I'm normally known for. So. Well, this is it. Welcome to our Christmas special. It has been too long. How's my sound, by the way? Uh, your sound's all right, but I just think, I don't know that we can call it a Christmas special. I think it, it's just welcome to our podcast for 2021. <laughs> <laughs> we we do one episode a year and this is it christmas special you know it does work for a lot of people though i mean you think about you know producers of really fine wines and you know really exclusive um products you know they don't produce lots of them they that's that's it's, it's all gold start to finish you you are putting us on the same pedestal as an exclusive product that's a worry yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, come on! I think you've got a bit ahead of yourself there. How well, the like, heck? we might as well start we start at the top and work our way down. <laughs> how, have, how have you been, mate? It's been a while. Um, I'm I'm good. I I actually I feel a bit dirty though, so um, we'll have to discuss that at some point oh, during this podcast. That sounds interesting. Do you know what I discovered this morning? I discovered that when you're going to make yourself a coffee, it's best to put the cup underneath the coffee dispenser so that the cup can catch the coffee. That's first and foremost, (laughs) rather than just pressing the button. Pressing the button and expecting something to happen without putting the coffee cup underneath is a little bit hopeful and probably will end in a poor result, which it happened for me. So I'm gathering that you've been um, you've been a bit busy then, if that's uh, where your brain's at. I was trying to do too many things at once, Matt. And, you know, I'm very good at that normally. But uh, this morning, clearly I needed the coffee that I was trying to make for myself. The second thing is always make sure that the bean dispenser, the beans, are fully stocked because otherwise the machine makes a horrendous noise, which sounds like it's about to take off and launch itself into space. Oh, yeah. And- yeah, 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 and it's cracking the shits, and you're thinking to yourself, "Are you going to stop anytime soon?" And you go, "No, actually, I best just run and grab the coffee beans." And I was so annoyed by myself oh, that got empty. No, you, you stop it, Tom. You stop it because you it wouldn't well, stop it. It doesn't do anything, and secondly, um, you, <laughs> yes, burn, you burn the little motor out. Like, wow, wouldn't that be like disaster? The devil. It can only go for so many spins, and then it just falls over. <laughs> a few days before Christmas, can you imagine? Ah, uh, ringing the coffee machine, you know, repair place. Uh, so you guys are still open? Yeah, we're closing at five o'clock today. Well, I've got a machine. Do you reckon you could fix that today so I can have it ready for Christmas? Mm. Yeah, they'd probably tell you to uh, go fly. Yeah. I was That's so actually... annoyed with myself that it had come, it had gone empty that I rapidly and annoyingly poured the, like the whole bag into the dispenser so it overflowed and that sound of beans just scattering across the concrete floor. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my morning so far. Wow, <laughs> despite being late for you, which I hate being late. I feel like, um, have you? Oh, just, no, Tom, Tom, don't apologise for being late. That's all part of being exclusive, isn't it? <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's a, it's an endearing trait of ours. Yeah, um, that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit like when I'm late, I feel like I'm an old bachelor. You know how? Do you Tom, Tom, that- Tom. <laughs> Only when you're late, you feel like that. Do you, do you find that people... I'm going to alienate some people here. Here we go. 
first fight, cap off the rank. Do it. Find that that single people, regardless of their age, tend to be late to things because they beat to their own drum and they're not accountable for anyone. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right. Like, it's I, a common trait that I've noticed amongst society. My psychology and sociology degree has kicked in to notice. There, there must be a study. I'll have to dig it up, put it in you the show notes. I reckon it is. I, I reckon you're right. They beat to their own drum, and so therefore, you know, you can you, your timing sort of up to you. But I think, right. I think you're right because, like, I think about the way we have to go about life now, and right. it, it does all. It does, it's, you know, it's not one of those crazy like you know. Some people describe you know life with a child as like, oh my god, it's chaos. You got to be so organised, and you got to have bags packed and rah rah. Like we're not like that, but certainly. You know, my routine of getting into the car and going somewhere has changed from, you know, maybe 20 seconds to maybe five minutes. And because I've got to think about that five minutes, I'm much more conscious of the time because I'm like, right. oh, hold on, I need to buffer that in. Whereas uh, before good. that, I was like, you know, I was never really late, but I, I didn't have to think about the time much because I'd be like, well, last minute, I can always just jump in the car. It's just me. So you're right. Yeah. You're, no, you're probably right there, Tom. Generally, you should, I'm you should submit a, uh, a paper to one of those medical <laughs> journals with, um, yeah, with your, with your and then I can call myself discovery. A I can call myself a published author. Yeah, well, you can call yourself that anyway, can't you? Aren't you a bestseller? Oh, in my own world, absolutely. I'm 10 oh. times over, 10 times over. When well, are that's you you're, you're the only book that you sell. That <laughs> you <laughs> 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 you start selling other people's books, maybe that would change. Actually, the no. book is selling very well because we chose to put it into uh, the local homewares and bookshops in the area. Oh. It, it had... It had stalled somewhat here through the gallery. And so we said, look, we've got nothing to lose. We've got all these books still to sell. And when I say all these books, probably less than half that we printed this time last year. And uh, yeah, it's going off its rocker, which is fantastic. There you go. That's yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's your turn next. Do you need to publish a book and uh, put it out to the big wide world? It would just, you know, I've always thought about what my book title would be. If I oh did God, here we go. That's a yeah. whole that's a whole podcast episode on its own. Yeah, oh, you might want to get your uh, psychology degree out. Because um, <laughs> no, I, I, I did think and about awesome. like no. I actually wasn't came, didn't come from a, a book to be honest. I did come from this is way back when I thought I was really good at photography. And, um, <laughs> and I was thinking crashed back down the yeah, then like reality hit and I felt yeah. like a pedestal. Now, um, if uh, if I had to, I, I used to sort of think if I had a an exhibition because you know that was always the goal was like not maybe a gallery or anything like that but just an exhibition yeah someday. yeah yeah and it's really hard because like as you know i photograph lots of different stuff like unlike you you sort of specialize in landscapes not saying you, you can't or don't do other stuff but your sort of your brand as tom putt photography is all landscapey stuff yeah and i think you want to be known for something don't you yeah, absolutely. It's better, it's better, you know, I've always said it's better to niche and then micro niche, you know, so that look at Tony Hewitt, for example, landscape photographer, but exceptional aerial landscape photographer, you know what I mean? Same Paul Holland, you know, um, Mika, Boynton, you know, those guys have taken landscape photography and then, which is a niche and actually micro niched into aerial abstract landscape photography. Go on. Yeah, no, I, I th that's, a, that's a whole other thing to unpack. Um <laughs> Because I, I don't not necessarily a, not a podcast agree with episode. That. I should be writing these down. Enough, yeah, write them down. We, give us something to talk about for 2025. Um. <laughs> for the audience, every time I propose to Matt that we do a podcast, he says, yeah, sure, topic, question yeah. mark. Like, well, what the hell are we going to talk about? And we then we, we can never come up with any topics. No, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So um, I was, uh, you know, I do a bit of everything. Like that said, 
if I had to niche myself realistically, I enjoy, I'm going to call it just nature photography. And yes. that, that's, that's wildlife. It's, it's not so much like pure landscapes, but do, landscapes do play into a little bit, um, you know, macro-y stuff. Just anything that's kind of to do with nature that's really far away from, um, you know, the, the city hustle and bustle or that progressive part of, you know, the planet. You know, I, I really don't find much joy in photographing, you know, um, the technology side of the planet. Right. I kind of prefer, you know, I, yeah, I like to be able to create those glimpses of, you know, back to, you know, back to basics a bit. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I do have some shots where I re- of the city, for instance, like that I really like. They really resonate with me for some weird reason. I've got some portraiture from travel and all sorts of things that I kind of go, well, I actually like a bit of everything. And so um, my my exhibition was going to be called an, eclect- an, eclectic-, an eclectic mix of things that I like. Nice. It was just going to be like just stuff that I like. Like it doesn't really have to have a constant theme or anything like that. It's just these are, this is the stuff that I've done in the past that just resonates with me as like, yep, this kind of captures what I do. Yeah. So that'd be my book, but it would kind of be like one of those kids' books where they've got like A to Z and there's like a, an animal for every, uh, Ooh, for every letter. Oh, I like, like that. I like that. A would be like yeah. abstract aerial, B, <laughs> baboon, <laughs> C, it would just be completely random. So yeah. Oh God. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. It would be like the adult ABC book. Well, not too adult, but you, you got me. No, we don't want to make it pornographic, Matthew. No. 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 N just. is for not for nudes. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, come Although on. I've always wanted to do a tasteful nude series. Like I think that'd be really cool. Like when I say tasteful, obviously tasteful nudes, not pornography well um, you've got to let me get into shape matt before i do that and have a little bit of nip and tuck and wax tom i've already seen enough on my uh my, <laughs> my, my text message feed i haven't from, uh, seen from you that. one for a while so you know i, I might surprise you with a christmas special uh. <laughs> i could just see one day you're gonna like the, like the world will get even more politically correct and someone will listen back to this podcast and you'll be arrested <laughs> it'll just be you'll be the we're still when I become really famous, you'll you'll just oh. broadcast one of those those uh, photographs out to the wider world and say, so this is what Tom Part really gets up to. Actually, the- I'll probably mint them and, and sell them as NTFs. That's yeah. it. <laughs> oh, God, or NFTs. A- what are they? NFTs. NTFs. NFTs. N- NFTs. There's NFTs. another. There's another podcast episode. No, it's not at all. It's not a podcast episode, Tom. <laughs> I actually listened to a podcast yesterday on NFTs, and uh, you know what? I was like, it was interesting enough that i finished the podcast but so far from interesting in terms of like a topic i think i don't don't get it i really don't why you know people have asked me oh so you in the nfts yet and i'm like well i could be i know i know how to do it as such but then who the hell is interested in buying my digital file for thousands of dollars well, that, so, okay, this that's is the only can, part that was interesting. So they can hang on. The only part that was interesting. So I'll talk about the only interesting part of what you're talking about. Go. Because I totally agree with you. I had the same conversation. People said, oh, you should make all your photos NFTs. I'm yeah. thinking, what, what for? Yeah. Um, at the moment, at least, right? Because at right. the moment, I don't think we're quite there. Right. Um, and when I say that, it's not because I'm an expert and I know anything about it. It means that I'm not an expert. And if the general public, like me, have no idea what's going on, it's probably not worth me doing because the people who I appeal to have no idea what's going on. But so what I found out yesterday was that with the NFT thing, right, the, the idea is that someone owns an original, right? So let's say someone bought a Tom Putt artwork off your wall. Yeah. Right. 
there's nothing really to say that it's the that it's an authentic one limited one of ten, except for a little piece of paper that you give them, they'll likely lose. Correct. Right. So that that artwork is no longer like the the whole point of doing a, a, a limited edition is that it's meant to be very exclusive. But the reality is that it's maybe not that exclusive because no one can ever authenticate its you know its you know the authenticity of it, and it comes from a digital file, right? Right. right. So NFT, I guess, can add that level of authenticity that can be it's it's um recognized across the planet so it's decentralized it's not just someone's certificate so you can authenticate that piece you know for you know in perpetuity yeah perpetuity yeah anyway um so that that kind of i kind of get that but at the same time i think the vast majority of people unless you're in really fine art collection or something i don't really see the point of doing that because like you said i mean someone wants to buy an artwork to put on their wall they're not putting it on their walls of sell it for 10 million dollars next year however at the moment, right, let's say that you sold one of your pieces of artwork in the gallery for what do you sell them for, like 20 grand? <laughs> I wish, yeah, yeah. Okay. They just yeah. walk out the door at that price. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Tom puts his picture up there for $20,000, right, and sells yeah. it. You get $20,000 for that picture, minus yeah. the cost of printing, all that sort of jazz. Yeah. The problem with this, apparently, in the art world is that people buy artwork as collectors and then they will go and spruik the artwork and then like to pump up the artist and then yeah. they will go and dump the artwork and sell it for a higher price and it keeps getting sold and sold and sold. And there was the example they gave of an artist who, she was a painter in the 1970s and 80s. She died in the 80s um, and her work was worth really nothing back then at all. Like she was a nobody. Um, yeah. And then somewhere for some reason she was picked up by a collector. They gave her a second win um, in the last like five years or something like that. And her artwork is now worth, on average, like $2.8 million a piece. Yeah. The problem is that when it's selling now for $2.8 million a piece, her estate gets none of that, right? So yeah. she was worth nothing when she was alive. Once it goes out of her hands, if someone can yeah. sell it for $20 billion, she will never see a dollar of that. So these artists are kind of like selling their work and then other people are making them famous and then making a profit off them. Yeah. Now, with an NFT, you can actually build in, because it's a digital certificate, you can actually build in a commission system where you get paid for the on-sell of that painting yes. or that photo. So if yes. someone sells your Tom Putt artwork, yep. you can have it built in that you earn a 2% commission every time it gets sold. So yes. as time goes on, you, you can actually make something of that. Yep. So I kind of see a point there. Um, I also heard yesterday that there is a... Uh, quite a famous i can't remember their name because i don't know celebrities but there was a celebrity who's got a wine club and they're only releasing like 50 spots to this wine club and the wine club membership is an nft and so you can actually sell your membership and it's such an exclusive wine club people pay massive bucks to be part of the wine club and so when you're sort of you know had your fun in the wine club you can go and sell your membership to someone else at whatever cost you know whatever the market price is and again the person who owns the wine club makes a very small commission on that so yeah, I see all these really cool sort of things, but I think you're right. Like it's kind of just feels a bit stupid for people who are just at the moment, at least, you know, we just take photos. You could sit there and you'd have to give up your career as a photographer, wouldn't you? And just to turn into like a, a, a coder to make this uh, stuff happen. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's no. just as simple as opening an account and, uh, and then plunking them up online and putting a price to them. Oh, well, shit. Yeah. maybe you should do it, Tom. <laughs> there's a platform called open seas um there's Ooh. another one i'll dig it out um for those who are interested do they take a commission though i would say so yeah i would mm. say so um 
And I, I do like that idea of the, the artists receiving a commission every time the artwork is then again sold. There's a great movie on YouTube um, that you can rent or buy called The Price of Everything, which is an yes. expose on the art world that I've mentioned on this podcast before, which mm. deals with that issue where, where you've got these artists who are being, you know, they're talented artists but and, and they're selling their work for next to nothing to start with, as we tend to do, because we haven't got a name for ourselves and we're obviously just charging what we can get. And then, uh, you know, they explode and they become collectible amongst the art uh, connoisseurs out there. And uh, all of a sudden they're, they're not receiving anything on those artworks that have initially sold for next to nothing and now they're selling for close to millions, if not more so. So I can totally... You you imagine being that that artist though, like they've you know some you know, the, the the this fine arts museum has like hosted you know this grand opening of your exhibition, yeah. and you have to borrow some money from someone to get yes. a cab to go and see yes. your own exhibition, and yes. then watch people buy your artwork for like millions of dollars in front of you, yeah. and, and yeah. just know that you're gonna have to borrow more money to get home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's- <laughs> It, it, they actually have some great archival footage from a, a, a very famous um, collector back in the 60s or 70s who who, ha, who did just this. He collected a whole lot of, of important art, which is even more so these days, of course, because time's moved on. And and he sells all this art for, for millions and people go, oh, my God, that's ridiculous and, and how can you charge that much? And he's like, well, and he gets approached by one of the artists and he goes, you bought that from me for next to nothing and now you charge all that money and he goes yeah but i've just made you, you famous you've you, you're just going to be able to sell your new art now for a whole lot more and they're kind of like yeah but i get nothing of what you just sold that for and they're like well bad luck that's the way the world works right um yeah. i think i think now there's actually a, a a law in place i'm not sure if it's here in australia or just in the us whereby the artist does receive a commission on the resale of those artworks um, whether that's for a certain time period or whether or not whether that the artist needs to be alive rather than deceased, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I do, I do love the NFT thing and I think that sort of decentralised contract on a blockchain that um, has it, you know, that can't be fiddled with and at the end of the day that's that's what the artist will receive regardless of whose yeah. hand it passes through I think is fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting because that, that, you're right, that does exist. It exists, um, it started in France and right. it has now been taken up in the US and Australia. So Australian one, um, it's 5% of the sale right. price. Right. Um, so if someone resells your work. But here's the thing, like you'd have to keep an eagle eye on what's going on. Like it would have to be through like a an auction house or something. Like if there's private sales, how on earth are you ever going to track that? No, you're not going to know. You know. It just seems like a almost like a tip of the hat to kind of you oh, have to be in that happen. you'd have to be yeah. in that like really high end world where you're getting sold in public spaces where it has to be accountable yeah. in the first place to actually yeah. make anything of it. Which is kind of ironic because the whole point of it is to try and yes. <laughs> help artists. Yes. And, and look, this is the beauty. Look, since we sort of chatted seriously, I know that you and I have both sort of fiddled in the crypto world and and I find this I find this space fascinating because I think it's a lot fairer playing field than what we exist in at the moment. So I love the idea that, um, for example, the artist is being well remunerated for their work regardless of when it was created and how many times it's been sold versus um, being shafted, you know, like we're talking about. And at the end of the day, um, it just makes it a fairer system, I think. And, And that's what's interesting about crypto and blockchain and and I think you know the example is also real estate whereby 
you tend to have, you can, not always, but you can, you know, sell a home or buy a home and you have a real estate agent who's taking their fair slice of the commission, but are they adding value enough that they deserve that commission? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And and perhaps on a blockchain, you'll be able to uh, transact a, a house um, with minimal involvement from a third party. And therefore, um, at the end of the day, you know, it's fairer. It's fairer yeah. for both buyer and seller. So, you know what I do, I do think though, which is I find quite fascinating, is um, you know what you just said there around it being fairer for artists. And I kind of think that if you're an artist, that sounds fairer because you you win, you get more money. But I think the the term fair, I don't think that that's the right term because right. I look at it and go, a lot of people on the planet would consider themselves to be creatives and artists with what they do right so you know these days art could be you know um architect well not these days well anytime architecture is art yes to a degree and so you go well when you sell your house like if you even if you just got a boring house like it was still done by an architect at some point and so it might be crappy art but it's still art should the architect get a cut when you resell yeah right you know when you you got a you've got a home designer to come in and renovate and decorate your house should they get a cut because, you know, they decorated it? Or if you renovated it, like, should they get a cut because they added value at one point and throughout the chain they get a cut? You know, yeah. you could think about like a Subway. They, they're sandwich artists. And, you know, if you ordered a Vegemite sandwich at Subway, should Vegemite get a cut because they, you know, you used Vegemite's product to resell? Like, I feel at some point you kind of go like definitely to break into a market, this sounds like a great thing because, you know, it helps to make everything more accessible. But I do kind of think that if you're going to sell work as an asset, you're going to put your name on the line and say, this is the price I'm asking for something. And you get that price. You, you kind of can't come back bitching and moaning later going, oh, well, now it's worth more. I want more money. Yeah. Like in a way, if you were clever and you sell to the right people, you, as you know, that, that example of that um, more uh, historic moment where uh, that were captured um, where, you know, the artist complained to the guy that you just sold it for all this money, where's my cut? Yeah. Um, that's kind of the thing is like, you know, hopefully if you put your name on it properly and you marketed yourself properly, like as the price of those those already made goods or, or works go up, hopefully that'll increase the price of what you can actually sell your current work for and therefore you sort of do win. That's how you build reputation. Um, you can't sort of just go, oh, well, you know, resting on that. I, I built this ages ago and now I'm just going to hope that, you know, I keep getting paid for it. I mean, you, you could license your work. That's different though, isn't yeah, it? Like, yeah, that's yeah. essentially what it is. It's kind of like licensing it Correct. for a 2% fee, Correct. which I don't think is maybe, yeah, I think it's just a different, I feel, I personally feel it's a different thing. I'm sure it's far more complicated than that, but. Um, it's interesting space yeah. and we're just early days. That's the thing, mm. you know, like um, yeah. we're all still finding our way. Yeah, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and and you know, I think with our with our sort of artwork, this is the other, it's a bit like the copyright thing, isn't it? Do you, you probably get hit up all the time with people saying, "Oh, how do I protect my work from copyright?" And I don't know about your response, but mine's normally, "Well, you you don't," and you just kind of hope that you don't get caught up in something stupid. And if someone's going to do it, they're going to do it regardless. Like, I, I don't know many photographers. You have to be on a pretty high playing field to to pursue a copyright issue. Yeah. Um. You know, That's even like I saw the other day actually. They were, who was it? It was like, I'm not going to name a brand because I, I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but there was a photograph that was, oh, that's right. It was, it was a computer laptop brand. Um, and uh, someone, a, a person on my Facebook, like, you know, an acquaintance, you know, you've collected over the years, um, 
they post up this post saying, oh my God, this particular brand has used my photo to advertise their laptop. And it wasn't even taken for the brand. Um, It was something that he shot for a project for his daughter or something like that and put it online and now it's being used as an advertisement. And everyone was like outraged. Copyright, copyright, copyright. Yeah, like, well, what am I going to do? Like, tell them they can't use it, and then they're going to go, okay, well, we either just will stop using it, or we'll just tell you to shut up, or we just won't re- reply to you, and, and you can't do anything. Often, uh, I've I've heard of successfully of, of photographers pursuing companies at, for copyright breaches and being well rewarded for it. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Are they, what sort of level of photographers are we talking here, though? Uh, they can be amateur photographers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so it's not just pros. So at the end of the day, it could be an amateur who, who pursues it. At the end of the day, I think if the company um, knows they've done the wrong thing, they they can cough up. There you go. I've not heard of that before personally. Um, and yeah. yeah, there you go. I, I will maybe change my tune now because I've uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people are writing into them, writing into companies, but obviously. It's very hard to, to establish who you're supposed to contact with that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And I've heard, yeah, basically it's just like, a, yeah, I've written in, I haven't heard anything back. There's another, there's another podcast. I could get a guest on a, a client workshop client of mine. He's a lawyer who would perhaps be able to add some more conversation mm. around that and some more value around that if people are interested. So let us know, guys, all the listeners out there. All three. If anyone's listening, it'd be great. It'd be great to know that you're just listening, let alone uh, whether you're interested in copyright or not. So you said that you were feeling very dirty, Matt. What's I am, Tom. On? What's but not on? in the way that you think. I feel just... <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I haven't caught up with you lately. How's that? <laughs> no, I feel, I feel, I feel dirty. I, so I... Oh. Um, this week, I treated myself to treated myself. I shouldn't have to treat myself, but I haven't been out really taking my own work for quite a long time. Oh, yes, um, with moving house between lockdowns and getting you know having resettled, a, having, having another baby. Mm. <laughs> God no. Um, uh, but you know, like running workshops and playing catch up with clients and stuff like that. Every time we come out of lockdown, it's like being just catch up, catch up, catch up. Then we're back in lockdown again. So. I finally just, I just got to that point. It's been a very, very intense couple of months just playing catch up with everything and not having any time. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to just take myself off. I'm going to go and go down the coast and shoot some of my own photos. And so I managed to get in for a dive with my new Sony A1 and body cam housing. Very exciting. I didn't have a strobe trigger though. So I just took some black and whites and it wasn't great conditions. But anyway, it was was good fun. But Tom, I, I actually made the plunge. Um... Uh, a couple of a few weeks ago, and I, I know where you're going with this. I, I this is just I, I've, uh, I'm beaming ear to ear. Go on. I, I bought a drone. Yes. And I hate myself for it. <laughs> I get stuff. No, I do. I feel really dirty. Uh, why? I just. Because I enjoyed it, and it was oh, like brilliant. Yeah, I feel I feel a bit yucky. No, don't don't, Matt. Don't worry. No, I do. Your your your, your drone button. <laughs> you, you've been popped, and you're just you're just ready to go out there and take on the world, Matt. You know. Well, here's the thing. I, I've owned a drone in the past, and yes. I reckon it flew in the sky maybe three times before oh, I just sold it because I was like, right. this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So. I the Mavic 3 came out and I was like, oh, hold on. This looks like it's got... And I know that you're a big fan of the image quality of previous versions as well, so I'm not ragging on the old ones. I know you do massive prints with them and stuff, but I've always found that 
um, I kind of like a consistency in image quality across all my photos. So it's underwater, landscapes, whatever. I want them all to be, I don't ever want to be like, oh, this is one of those low res ones, you know, yeah. from the, yeah. the crappy camera yeah, yeah. or it's not good at low, whatever. And, um, yeah. but anyway, we, we are, um, we are planning to take three months off next year awesome. um, to go uh, do a, a Melbourne across the Nullarbor and then up through oh, Western wow. Australia, across yeah. Darwin and then back down again. You've been talking about doing that for a little while now, haven't you? And I mean, obviously COVID. Put yeah. Us into that. yeah. Well, we were meant to do a year um, off and then we decided instead we'd move house and do three months. Right. So um, we, yeah, we're doing that. And I thought, you know what, I've got, I've got some ideas, some projects that I want to do and get into a bit of personal projects. So I like a drone does give you a bit of a different perspective and helps with, especially when you're doing, um, uh, you know, not documentary, but documenting things. It does help to give a bit of a, you know, some context. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll grab one, but, you know, not sure. And I'll tell you what, the image quality out of it is spanking. Really? Um, which I was really surprised at. I was re- expecting it to be like, you know, good, but kind of disappointing considering the other gear that I shoot on. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I, I feel a bit weird about that. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. It'll, it'll, it'll calm down. You'll feel okay. A few more flights and, and nail some awesome photos and you'll be like, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm well, lucky. You, know you know what it was, right? It's, it's actually very quiet, which really? I was surprised at. Wow. Um, yeah, because you know normally like I the reason I hate drones for those who are listening who are wondering why I feel dirty, I feel like drones are the most intrusive thing someone yeah. can do in nature. Yeah. You're sitting there on the beach, it's beautiful, lovely day, you're like enjoying lapping up, and then you hear this and it just yeah. like doesn't stop. Yeah. Um and I am really sensitive to that myself. And so because I'm really sensitive to myself, I would never inflict it upon anyone. So um, you know, I've found a really, really like dead quiet spots to take off from. So no one was around. Um, you know, I made sure it was flying high enough that even I couldn't hear it, um, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, but I felt, you know, I just, I also have, I've, I've hit a bit of a conundrum, right? Oh, right. That's a big word. Yeah. And I don't know whether we want to talk about this on, in, in a public space. Oh, but we, I tell you what, we can delete this part and we'll just put like a long beep in when we're allowed to talk about this. Okay. But what I noticed was that pretty much everywhere I wanted to fly the drone yes. was part of the Mornington Peninsula National Park. True. And therefore you would need the necessary permits and yeah. permissions. Yes, Matthew. Yeah. Mm. And that, that mm-hmm. worried me a little bit, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I was like, well... Want to do the right thing? Yeah, I want to do the right thing, and then I kind of go. I'm really torn because I I look around, even the social media from the government, and it's full of drone <laughs> shots in national parks. And I'm like, this is right. odd because here we are being told we're not allowed to do it, but you're kind of promoting it. Um, this is strange, and so yeah, I was torn as to kind of going like, and I've also spoken to a good friend of ours, Nick Fletcher. Um, and oh, the, Nicholas Fletcher. The, well, the rule is that you're allowed to fly it over a national park. You're not allowed to take off from a national park. That's what I was going to say. Just, so just, I'm drive up the road, just drive up the road a bit, launch it from the street. And yeah, and then right. just walk down the, walk right. down the beach ludicrous. with it. It's ludicrous, um, isn't it? It is ridiculous. And I sort of understand because it comes under airspace things. But the other one I was thinking yeah. is like for the coast, you could just go and like hire a charter boat and just cruise around the coast to just keep taking off from your boat. But it just felt mm-hmm. like that, that's kind of, it, I guess that's where I felt odd about the, the experience of a drone a little bit was yeah. that 
I kind of understand why they've got to be regulated like that. And de- definitely I don't want like a thousand drones down at the beach or anywhere in nature for that matter, because people aren't often very considerate about other people. But right. it did make me sort of wonder whether, you know, it, it, this might be an episode in itself. Maybe this is another podcast for 2027. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, what's the, like, people, the legalities of photographing in places, like even in, you know, technically speaking, if you take a photo in a national park um, and you are a professional photographer of any description, you need a permit for that. Um, and you need in the permits, you need to specify the time, the date and the location you're going to go, which really doesn't work as a creative. You can't just go, hey, I'm going to go to, I don't know, yeah. beach on Thursday it's, at 9 a.m. on that exact yeah. dot and take a picture. And, and they want to know the flight path you're planning to take and altitude, all sorts of things. It's it's very difficult to... It, it really is. Well, but it's so I, difficult that it makes me go, are they just trying to tell you just don't bother? Yes, exactly. You make it so difficult you don't bother filling out the permit. Yeah. 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 I found that a few times with, um, you know, like, don't get me wrong, I've got a Parks Victoria tour operator license um, or licensed tour operator, anyway, LTO, yeah. um, and uh, and I pay my, my fees and my dues and whatnot. But I, I tell you what, they do often make it very, very difficult to do the right thing because you, you, you've got to balance that line of saying, well, what's the purpose of this? And, yeah, it makes you make judgment calls, really. I, I just wasn't a big fan. Right. I, yeah, I, so- I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah, so I feel a bit dirty this, with the drone. This is the reason sometimes I don't fly my drone at all, despite the fact that I, I want to, because I don't want to disrupt my experience in nature with yeah. that with that annoying sound or uh, concentrating on flying that 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 is creates a sense of anxiousness that I don't want because I'm just wanting to enjoy nature and just go for a walk with my camera. Mm. And if I happen to see a nice photograph, I'll take the photograph. You know, um, I went away with the kids for a week down the Great Ocean Road just last week. And, I and saw that. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, did the Great Ocean Walk. And for those who haven't done it, I thoroughly recommend it. I wouldn't do it in summer. I think it would be really hot. There's no water spots between the campsites and the campsites rely on rainwater. So if you went during a drought or during the height of summer, you may end up with no water, which would be a real problem. But um, we had you. fantastic weather. And, and, and it, you know, I did take my tripod. I took the drone and I took my camera, the, the Nikon Z7 with the 14 to 30 mil only. And it was just fantastic just to go for a walk at sunrise and sunset, but have no expectations um, about what I was going to photograph. Did you actually end up with some nice shots? Yeah, I did. Yeah, the, my. It's funny. I say no expectations, but then my in the back of my head, I had a goal that I wanted to create a nice photo out of each of the spots that we camped at. So, yeah. um, kids obviously went up at five a.m. in order to come photographing with me at sunrise. Although they were more than welcome, but uh, being teenagers, they tend to like their sleep. So <laughs> I would, um, I would just wander off and just you know within the couple of kilometres of the campsite, wherever we were just go for a wander and see and what I was really actually doing was challenging myself to see whether I still had it you know in a sense that do I still have that ability to perhaps create something from nothing or at least see a photograph rather than just it smacking me in the face like a nice sunrise or sunset I mean that's obvious you know point the camera in the right direction and take the photo it's pretty easy to do but what I was trying to do is right okay I'm not seeing anything immediately obvious to me that is cracking so where could I go 
in order to be able to create that for myself. And there were some situations like that where I was like, okay, I'm, I, I need to be really aware of what my surroundings and, and what is going to make a good composition so that I can create something that I'm going to like at the end of the day, not just to say, oh, well, I took a nice photo here. I really did want to create something special. So um, I was practicing with that 14 to 30 mil lens. It's been seven years since I had a wide angle for my wow. camera. I did... I, I shot Canon for 20 years, for those who don't know, with a mainly a 16 to 35 mil lens. I've had one of those since 1998. And then I, up, I upgraded. I changed to Nikon back in 2014. And the widest angle lens I had for those D800s was a 21 mil Zeiss lens. And then I went to Pentax and the widest I had for that was a 28 mil lens. And then I've switched back to using just the Nikon exclusively and uh, I've got that 14 to 30 and I'm still, I'm trying to teach myself again how to use that wide angle lens at 14 mil because I've not mm. not really been practicing that at all. So uh, it, it was great exercise to be honest in just uh, creating that competition and, and it's, for those who don't know, it's if you're going to shoot with a wide angle lens so wide like 14 mil, a landscape you really need to get really close to your foreground you need to have something foreground middle ground background that, that all you know works in well together and that foreground needs to be within oh, half a meter to a meter of your camera otherwise it looks the whole the whole you know landscape looks far too distant and, and uninteresting so yeah it was a great exercise to do that and i can't remember why the hell i started talking about that uh, you were talking about the fact that you... Oh, yeah, just being out in nature. Just being yeah. out in nature and not being disrupted with it. And, yeah, and, it was the... amazing. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, I find that the more, just to finish that off, I find that the less expectation I had about the photographs I wanted to get, the more creative I became. Because yeah, I was, Yeah, I was actually starting to see images and, and trial stuff and experiment and just play and not, rush off here there and everywhere it was just like all right let's just hang here and see what comes to me you know i even sat down at occasions and just breathed it in so um i was really pleased with what i got to be honest um you know they're not i, I don't know that they're anything that i you know blow up and sell here in the gallery but they're still nice images and i'll put them on the website for sale and uh i, I that's a beautiful part of the world god i i can't wait to get back down that way uh to shoot some more there's definitely a a book in there for me to to publish on the Great Ocean Road, but it's a big space. It's a lot of area to cover, so that's going to be one of those you know longer projects that takes you know five ten years to do, not five minutes. <laughs> yeah, you make some. Um, I like. I love the idea of, of hiking and, and camping and all that sort of stuff. I, I really do. But I do. If it came to producing a book, I feel like there's um, yeah, some of that that plan not planning, but yeah, scouting a location, but then sort of going and just like camping out at that location to get the timing right is is also kind of critical too it is and and the thing is about that coast is that there's so much coastline as well as the beautiful forests oh my god the amount of different vegetation we walk through big tall timber forests fern gullies scrub you know all sorts of stuff it was really interesting that the variance in vegetation that the more it's kind of like the more you see the more you realize that there's more to see you know, it's like the questions reveal more questions to be answered. And um, and it's one of those things that if you were to do it properly and really create something unique, it would take a lot of time because there's just so much there and, and that coastline, a lot of it's pretty much inaccessible. So 
unless you're walking it or, or uh, you know, or taking side tracks and, and getting off the beaten track. That um, and, and to be honest, I think that's what, what it needs because there's so many beautiful rock formations down by the coast that uh, I've not seen before. I've not seen anyone photograph some of the stuff that I saw. So um, it's brilliant. Beautiful part of the world. We should do it one day, Matt. We should walk it together. Yeah. Oh, we could podcast the whole thing, like live broadcast. Yeah, man. We could do a video. <laughs> we could do video episodes on YouTube and sell Ooh. it for millions. No, I, know that, I know that Adam Dyson, Brown. you know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Adam Dyson, he spent a lot of time down there and he's he was keen. I mentioned it yeah. to him. So, he's, uh, he, he spends tons of time down that way. Well, at least he right. has in the past. Yeah, he's, his work's always, he seems to always be in the old ways or he takes like a billion photos and then edits them over the course of like five years. He was, <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, he was down there the other day running a workshop, I believe. Oh, there you go. There you what go. does uh, Christmas uh, involve for you, Matthew? Do you host it at your place? We do host it at our place. So, yeah, yeah we've got Christmas boy. at our joint this year, which is, well, we usually host it, um, which would be nice, looking like good weather. So, we are a bit of a pool Christmas. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, like I'm, I need a bit of a wind down. I've had a, um, as I said, a really, really chaotic and busy a uh, couple of months so i'm in desperate desperate need of just a little bit of time so i've tried to not book myself silly i've taken a couple of weeks off over christmas um but yeah i don't know i i've i've got a project that i'm working on um well i should say i started working on it a while ago in my head and i started actually working on it yesterday um in reality so um that's exciting so i might try and get some of that in are you going to share what that project is i could do so <laughs> it's right. probably not very exciting for anyone listening, to be honest. It's just exciting for me. Yeah, go. Um, so years and years and years ago, uh, when I started diving in Victoria, which would have been 2006. Which is, by the way, how I came across you. Yeah, because I was really that, famous and stuff. Yeah, that's it. And and I saw, <laughs> I don't know, somehow on, on Instagram or Facebook or something, I saw this guy running workshops and they were underwater workshops. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay, who is this bloke? So that was yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go there on. you go. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, no, I was doing uh, – I, I, I basically, from the, the first day I started scuba diving, which was when I was 15, um, I bought a camera because I was like, I want to document this because none of my friends are doing it. So, you know, it'll be you feel a bit stupid coming back trying to talk about things that you simply can't describe. And so, uh, anyway, in about 2006, I bought a video camera – um, quite what at the time felt like a very high-end one and now retrospectively I realise it wasn't. Um, it was just I was young and very excited. Yep. Um, and I, I filmed a couple of... Like I'd, every time I'd, we dived, I'd shoot content. Like I'd just shoot, 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 shoot. And eventually I had enough content there from really interesting shots that I pulled together a little series called A Peak Beneath the Waves. Right. And it was like... They're not long. It's like five-minute videos. And there was like... I think there was three parts to it. And it was basically a showcase that I ended up giving to the dive stores. It was a showcase of what's underneath the ocean around Victoria. So anything from piers to, you know, shipwrecks and stuff like that. Um, It wasn't particularly bad, but it wasn't particularly good retrospectively. Um, But it got a lot of of attention at the time because cameras weren't as accessible back then. Like underwater cameras were really, really, really expensive. We didn't have GoPros and stuff like that. So... Um, so anyway, I shot this. It's really well, you know, well, you know, for the time well, it was well done. But I, I revisited it the other day because I'm trying to sort of get my head back in the game of, no, I, I do this because I love it, not because it's, you know, work. Yeah. 
especially after COVID, you know, all we've done is stuff for other people. We haven't actually, I don't know about you, but um, during COVID, I haven't really been able to do anything for myself um, just because of the physical constraints of being places. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I, I said to myself, no, you know what, I'm going to go and recreate this as a, as a, like a 20 minute um, mini documentary of the life, um, both sort of underwater to landscape coast to, to the sky. So it'd be like sea land sky around Victoria's coastline as a, as a sort of a, a mini doco. Nice. So, right. Um, yeah, started shooting some content yesterday. As I said, I went for a dive with my new gear. That was just more for a test. I, I took a couple of black and whites, but nothing particularly exciting. But um, yeah, just testing out. I'm, I'm getting into log footage, which is really difficult to work with. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like the raw version of um, photography, but for video. Um, but it looks almost neutral gray. Like the entire shot's almost pure gray. There's virtually wow. no detail in it whatsoever. Interesting. And like convert and it turns into these super fantastic photo or images. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to get into that a little bit, I think. So that's, what's the, what's 2022 look like for you? What would you ideally have it be? Well, 2020, our plan is to take three months uh, from June, I think it's June through to September. Mm. Um, We've got it in the calendar. Uh, Hopefully all that can come to fruition if, yeah. if everything in the world behaves yeah. um so yeah for the first part of the year i'll be running workshops again well i'm still running them but i'll be running those as per normal um yeah. i've got a couple of boot camps up in bright so a couple of five-day workshops up there yes uh, lots of work for um BFOP this year as well so we've just launched tickets yes um, i was going to mention that for those who are interested the tickets for BFOP or a bright festival of photography for 2022 are now available and on sale. So great Christmas gift to yourself or to somebody else. Yeah, that's it. And the thing is, like this year, it's going to be like, we're obviously, I had someone email me the other day. It was actually quite funny because when I put the tickets up, they emailed saying, oh, so is it go- are we actually going to get to Bright this year? <laughs> I'm kind of like, I don't know what to say to that. million dollar like, question. It's like, yeah. well, you tell me, you'd probably know better than I would. A hundred percent. If I could answer that question, mm. obviously, like I would be, you, you would know, be probably gone. the head of the government, you know. I would be, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Like, I would be the, the World Health Organization's Matt, yes, chief, Matt, chief advisor. Matt Crummins, the chief health officer for Victoria. That's it. it yeah. just, so, anyway, it was kind of, I found that kind of funny. But, um, it is quite amusing. But, I mean, you know, the hope is obviously that we're able to. And, and fingers crossed. Yeah, you know, like the way we're tracking at the moment with without disasters happening, it seems like that's going to be the case. At the end of the day, we all just need to be double, triple vaxxed and you can go and do that sort of stuff. And, uh, and we, you know, we try and be careful, but at the end of the day, we just have to learn with, to live with this, don't we? That's just it. So the plan is to get up there. We've, um, we've moved the festival. We've talked about this before. We've moved the festival up from uh, the brewery. It's moved up now to uh, the community centre um, where we, we're going to set up a big marquee and a bar and all sorts of oh, right. So Where is the community centre? Is that that sort of hall that you've run workshops in in the past? Yeah, it's where Dennis right. does his night workshops and there's usually a few things going there. I think I know that, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's, that's pretty exciting, to be honest. Like, um, yeah. And this year, I guess we've expanded a little bit as well. So our plan is to, we need a few more instructors. So we're going to be hitting up our instructor oh. team to uh, to get some recommendations uh, for people who who might get get in through the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's Cause, awesome. Because it's, uh, I think, really, it's um, yeah, it's it's this festival that needs to start growing, and uh, it's, uh, I think, it's pretty cool. It sure is. You guys do a great job. Fantastic. Yeah, say yeah. it again. 
say it again. Oh, you guys, you and you, well, Nick in particular does an amazing job. He does. He does. I've never <laughs> seen someone sit down and relax so much. Um. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great, it's a great event, and I'm sure everyone would be really excited to get up to Bright again. It's been too long. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And how about you? What's what's on your what's on your uh, uh, well your playlist for 2022? 2022. Well, I uh, you know a couple of different goals. Um, we we don't have any kids doing year twelve next year, so that might be a little less stressful than it has been this year. Um, <laughs> we uh, we'd love to be able to do a little bit of travel, uh, but we've got seventeen weeks of workshops planned for twenty twenty two away, like interstate and. Um, not overseas. We're doing that's that all in 2023. Well, it is because we're trying to catch up for everything that's been delayed this year. And, oh, so this what sort of trips are you running? 17 so, weeks. Is it like, are you running one trip 17 times? Or? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got a, a week-long workshop in Arnhem Land in March, and then I'm away for six weeks um, again, this time in WA, hopefully to do Karajini, Shark Bay, and two trips to the Kimberley again, including a heli safari, which we did last when, year. When's that? When's that? That's April, May. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, sorry. We'll miss each other. Um, June, we're going to Lake Air. July, we're running two snow workshops. August, we're down to Cradle Mountain for a couple of weeks. And then I think it it finishes up about sort of August. My plan is to sort of in the future run the workshops over the sort of winter only so that in summer I can be here giving my time to the gallery and doing other things. And so – Looking forward to that being the case. Love to get away with um, Ollie and the kids again to do one or two more uh, walking adventures like we did down the Great Ocean Road. So that would be great. We're looking at doing part of the Lara Pinta Trail in the West McDonald Ranges near Alice Springs in April. Uh, uh, and and that would be about it. You know, a relatively – oh, the only other thing too is that um, I've got a, 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 an itch to scratch, which is another book project, um, which uh, – on average, I've, I've published one book a year for the past 14 years and mm. um, I've enjoyed having this book sell well and, uh, and not doing anything like that for a little while now. But um, I've had this snow book that I've, I, I finished shooting about five years ago that's been sitting on the shelf and it's basically finished. It just needs me to tidy it up and press print. And so I think that's, that's something that I'd like to achieve in 2022 is to have that published and distributed because it's it's quite a unique publication there's a lot of unique photographs in there and i'm not too familiar with um, many books that have been done exclusively on the snow landscapes of australia and it's by no means a comprehensive coverage of it there's a lot i was going to say is it like is this shot across like how how oh, this is this? shot over 20 years um 15 20 years there's shots that date back to sort of you know 2000s in that um it covers tasmania victoria and new south wales but you didn't get to the snow caps of Darwin. Of the <laughs> <laughs> there's a few obscure ones that I'd like to include, like uh, you know, in, in the second volume, because the reason I'm happy to publish this one now, even though I don't feel it's 100% complete, is that Mary said, you know, you'll never, you'll never probably get to everywhere you want. Um, the snow season here in Australia is so brief, and you need to be right place, right time. That she said, do one, and if you end up getting enough for a second, or you do that, and so. I'm happy to do that, but there's things like the Sterling Rangers in WA that get snow every couple of times a year. There's the Grampians here in Victoria that get snow a couple of times a year. So there are, you know, obscure places. Dare, like dare I say there has been snow on Uluru at one point as well. Is that right? 
Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I I've, um, I, I, I've got a feeling. Hold on, I'm going to quickly Google it. It was in wow. 1997. It got. It looks like a, it actually looks like a pudding because it's like dusted. You're in, serious? Yeah, I didn't look at know it that. I know it gets rain, and I know you can have those beautiful clouds hanging over yeah, the top. Of it, but no, I, no, this was um. This snow. actually looks like it's like it's like a sugar dusting. Snow on Uluru. That would oh, be freaking amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so oh, there you go. You'll never get to publish the book though because it happens once every 500 years or something. I'll be, so, um, I'll be well gone by then. So, yeah. You so know what that, you could do though? Oh, sorry, I just – I, I, I know that no one likes to get unsolicited advice, right? I get that. But – You're going to give it anyway. Yep. Um, if you just get one of your Uluru shots and go into Photoshop and you can change the season with the neuro filters, um, right. you could just change it to winter and they'll put, it'll put snow on Uluru for you. Perfect. So, Right. Just do well, that, and then time timestamp yeah. it as um the eleventh of July, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, is that when it happened? It is. Are you looking at it now? Yeah. Send me the link so I can put it in the show notes. Can't you just you could just Google it? <laughs> okay. No, it's fine. I'll put it. I'll send it to you. No, 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 no. I'll send it to you. I'm going to send you. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to send it to Google Copy, search. Paste. There you go. Ooh. All right. Just appeared in your uh, your text box. I've got it Ooh. right now. There we go. Oh, have you still got the oh, honky, honky, uh, honky, honky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, look, Matt. I think we better wind it up. We've gone overtime. We've been far too generous uh, as always. And That's why uh, our premium product. We've made up for lost time. <laughs> exclusive product. Um, happy, happy Christmas and uh, happy holidays and uh, all the best to everybody and for 2022. Thanks very much for listening to us dribble on for. 45 minutes or so um, on a semi-regular basis. Um, sorry, we haven't come to you as often as we'd like, but uh, life gets in the way. But um, if you've got any ideas for us for 2022 and what you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. And uh, we'll see you in 2022. Thanks, everybody, just for listening. Before we, before we finish, though, Tom, I just, just to let everyone know. Sign, a brilliant sign-off, and now you've gone and ruined it. I know, but just to let everyone know as well. <laughs> There has no been no really bad smells coming out of my laundry, right? Which means that you didn't following. get me a turtle for Christmas. Oh. Because otherwise, <laughs> I feel like after this, this long, it would, be, totally, it would just be a shell. And totally, so, do you know what? I've actually totally forgotten what I've bought you. Well, this is going to be exciting for both of us. Maybe, maybe it I'll um, FaceTime you on Christmas Day, and we can. I would love that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna video record that and put it yeah. on the on the Facebook group you of go. you unwrapping. For those who don't know, a couple of months ago, I sent Matt a Christmas present, and I said, "You can't open it now. Open it at Christmas time." And he somehow <laughs> thought it was a turtle, for goodness sake. And I'm like, how's a turtle going to exist in a box for two months without feeding or watering it, for goodness sake? Cruelty. Well, that's why I asked you I had to feed and water it. So, Disgusting. yeah. Anyway. So good to hear that it hasn't died and that uh, I hope you get to enjoy it. And, um, yeah, look forward to catching up with you in 2022, Matt. And uh, all the best to you and your family. You too. We'll see you soon. See you, mate. Bye.